Hello, Mississippi and friends everywhere. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, and you're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. And I'm Dr. Alan Harris. Today, our show is all about you. That's right. It's open mic. Any medical questions you want to ask are welcome. Yep. From your head to your toes, anything goes. So get your questions ready and give us a call at one mpb ring or 1-877-672-7464 or send us an email. Our email address is southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Our lines are open right now. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. We're back at Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine pediatrics, here with my colleague, Dr. Alan Harris, instructor at medicine. We're both from the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this Southern Remedy episode is sponsored by an unrestricted grant, which lets us say just about anything, from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We want to thank you for joining us for a special edition of Open Mic. That's right. We're taking questions on anything you want to anything you want to talk about today. And there's lots to talk about, so we hope you'll give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We have open lines. Now's the time to get in early before the business gets cranked up. Gee whiz, we've got uh, Michelle Obama coming in to recognize uh, some of the effects of the Mississippi Healthy Schools Act, uh, which is now beginning to show evidence that we're tackling, beginning to tackle this epidemic of overweight and obesity that's affecting our kids. One-third, 33%. Of the children in the United States, and probably a little bit more so in Mississippi, are either overweight and obese, and we know what happens to obese kids. Yeah, that's right, and we're actually, a lot of diseases like hypertension, type 2 diabetes that have been adult diseases, we're starting to see those in our teenage population now because of obesity. Right, so being overweight, if you're overweight long enough, you're going to have problems with your knees. Problems with your hips, problems with your feet, and a certain percentage, a fairly significant percentage of folks will develop diabetes and have uh, diabetes complications. And the fact is, the longer that you have diabetes, the higher the, the rate of complications. So if you can put off having diabetes until it doesn't matter anymore, <laughs> then if you do get it, uh, you're probably going to have very few complications. So we're beginning to see kids now with diabetes, uh, uh, the the uh, weight-associated form, type 2 diabetes, now in their adolescence, which is really not good. Right. And with type 2 diabetes, we know that um, early on in the disease, if you can lose weight, a lot of times you can reverse that um, early on. Right. So... Thanks, Michelle Obama, for coming and underlying uh, Mississippi's progress. We have a long way to go, but at least uh, we're going to get some national uh, recognition for what we've done. It's allergy season. There's been a tremendous amount of diarrheal illnesses in the state, 
Uh, there's all kinds of new information about vitamins, none of it very promising. Uh, we'll talk about those topics or your topics uh, when you call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring or one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We've got a caller ready, Joyce and Clinton. Joyce, are you yes, there? Ma'am. Hey, good morning. Good morning. What's your question today? I have a kind of a strange condition. My upper thighs underneath the skin is sort of a deep-colored mottling or blotching. Okay. Do when you understand you, When that? you say underneath the skin, like your skin, it just looks yeah, no, like... No itching, no surface, anything. It's the skin is, I call it mottled, blotching. Okay, how long have and you had inner, this? My inner thigh. How long have you had this problem? Pardon? How, how long um, have you had it? I first noticed it about maybe three weeks ago. Are you on aspirin? No, sir. Okay, are you on any other medicines? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, the most important thing you can do is let your doctor know that this has occurred. It may very, very well be a drug reaction, uh, and your platelet count could be low, which is one of the cells that helps your blood clot. It sounds like you're bleeding under your skin in those areas and uh, the thighs sort of clap together when you walk and that can give bleeding if your your blood count is not right. So give your doctor a call about that and let them know about it and they'll probably want to take a look at you. I wouldn't just disregard that. It may very well be a drug reaction. So yeah. get probably, on probably not an emergency though. Not something you could call your doctor and get it seen about, you know, when they could see you. Cause this is the small little blood vessels in your skin, not the big ones that are going to cause you to bleed to death or anything. Don't want to alarm you too much, but you do need to get it. Absolutely. All right. Let's go to John. Hey, John. Good morning. Yes. Um, hello. Yes, hey, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, I just had a comment, sort of, um, years back I had a growth that kept coming out on my chin, and every now and then I would take a fingernail clipper and cut it off, and it was very, very painful and bled a lot. And it was starting almost immediately, I guess, to start growing back, and in a few months I'd have to cut it off again. Okay. Did we lose you? It sounds like that uh, he is gone. Let's comment a little bit about, uh, let's help him with the problem he's got. Uh, one of the things is uh, there's several problems here. The first is a recurrent cutaneous growth. Right. That could be nothing. It could be a skin tag. Um, it could be, uh, is is he back? Yeah, he's okay. back. Hey, John, can you want to finish your comment? Are you there? This uh, is John in Tennessee. Uh, this is the right. <laughs> All right, go ahead, and we'll we'll come back to the other one. Maybe maybe we'll get him back on the line. Good morning. What's okay, your question? Uh, what it is, I have uh, bad leg cramps. I've got evidently nerve problems under from my hip joints down to my knees. And uh, it can be quite painful at times. I, uh, I may have a, a back problem because I was uh, getting a cat out of a tree with a very long ladder uh, last year, year before last, actually. And the problem developed sometime after that. Sounds like the cat and, won. Sounds like, like the, what? sounds like the cat won the battle on that one, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell us again now, you're having leg cramps in your thighs. Are these at night or all the time? 
this is all the time. This is the back of the thighs. Uh huh. And you injured Yesterday your. I had some in the front, but nearly it's nearly always in the back. Yeah, and you thighs. injured your back when you were. Uh, did you fall off the ladder? Is that what happened? No, no. But it started. No, I, I've, I have always been very strong, and I've done a lot of lifting. I'm 73 years old, uh-huh. and I'm still somewhat strong, but. Uh, these joint problems are slowing me down. Okay, this well, let, here, let me let me just uh, sort of tell you what this brings to mind. Anytime anybody has these complaints, especially if if you're older, uh, for people who develop frequently, we attribute things that happened, like getting a cat out of a tree on a ladder, uh, to a cause for some medical problem, and we may or may not be right. And the reason for that is uh, something called denial. None of us want to admit that we have a serious medical problem or a medical problem, and we think if we can outweigh it, uh, it'll go away, or we attribute it to something that is probably unrelated. Uh, if you if you were climbing, just climbed up a ladder to get a cat out of a tree and about the same time started having this problem, it may or may not be related, regardless of whether it's related or not. When you start having a muscle spasm in your legs, it usually means that you have a neurological problem in your back. Uh, the only other thing that would do this would be if you're on a diuretic, a water pill that affects your electrolytes, your sodium and potassium, that can cause it as well. But usually when it's thighs, it's usually uh, some kind of uh, problem in your spine. You may have osteoarthritis that's trapping a nerve down there or the like. Regardless, this this is another thing that you probably should not uh, just let go on. You need a neurological exam. Any a medical provider can do that. It's simply banging on your knees and checking your strength and so forth. And then uh, Neurontin, which is a widely used uh, drug for muscle pain and spasm, uh, can help with this. So my recommendation is get this checked out, and, and if there's nothing significant, then uh, I would uh, ask the doctor, doctor or other health provider whether Neurontin would be a good thing to do. Let's clean up that call that we lost to caller about the growth that he was cutting off of his chin with the uh, clippers. Right. Um, So cutting anything off of your face or elsewhere um, with fingernail clippers, you you risk getting an infection in there, especially if there's bleeding, then there's a place that germs can enter your bloodstream and you can get an infection there. Anything on your face is really close to your brain. Um, So that's dangerous in itself. Um, Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, plus it could be something, you know, just it might be nothing, but it's worth getting checked out. And if it keeps growing back, you know, the dermatologist may have a way to take it off that it wouldn't keep coming back if it was something. Right. Benign, like the a, face is one of the major problems for uh, major sites for skin cancer, and that's where you get a lot of sun there, especially anything around the nose or the mouth or the chin. Uh, skin cancers, and when you chop them off, they come back over and over again, <clears throat> and they can go deep if you do that. So you can have a very benign skin cancer and just sort of cover it up by chopping it off. So don't do that. Go see your primary care doctor. Many of our primary care doctors now can punch those out uh, with a little punch. Uh, dermatologists, if you have one in your area, certainly uh, are experts in this area. But don't blow things yeah. off. And the punch, grow. the punch biopsy goes deeper, so it gets the deeper part out to keep it from coming. Back. Right, better than you can do with your clippers. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's probably not a good idea. 
Speaking of Clippers, call us about your problems, your medical inquiries, or whatever else is on your mind medically at one 672 That's one 877 mpb ring We have lines open, and we'll be right back to take your question. Listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here live and semi dead with Dr. Alan Harris, my co host, and it is all about you today. If you ever wanted to direct a radio program, you can do it by directing us to answer your call at 1 877 or 1 877 MPB Ring. It's all about you. All right. And we've got Lucy on the line in Jackson. Good morning, Lucy. She's coming right now. There we go. Morning, Lucy. Good morning. What's your question today? Um, I found out that my husband had been unfaithful and underwent some testing for STDs. I was in such shock that I, I did not follow up with appropriate questions. The testing reflected that I had acquired herpes simplex A and I, I didn't know the consequences, the follow-up, things of that nature. Okay. Have Have you had any um, sores come up anywhere? No. Okay. Um, Not that I recall. This This was a. I found out that this had been going on for a number of years, almost a decade. So I, I don't recall. Anything. Okay. I I think you would know because it's very painful. Um, so. Herpes, herpes simplex, you can, there's two different types of viruses. Um, type one is normally shows up as fever blisters around your lips. Um, type two is normally the genital herpes virus, but either can, that's the most common, but you can get either in either place. Um, when you have an outbreak, um, you get painful vesicles like ulcers, um, and there's medicines that we can give to help that clear up, but it doesn't cure you of the virus. Um, so it, you're contagious when, you, when you're having an outbreak mainly. Um, there is some evidence that p- perhaps you could transmit the virus when you're not having an outbreak. Um, so if you haven't had any outbreaks of this, then I'm not, I'm not sure that, that you actually have the virus. Dr. Rick, what's your thought on that well the this is uh and lucy i'm so sorry this has happened to you i know you're distraught about this um but you've got to realize uh, the reality of the situation is that now the majority of women are infected with papillomavirus which is another sexually transmitted uh, uh disease uh herpes is rampant uh and uh, we, when we have this situation where someone comes in with uh, sexually transmitted disease, we want to make sure 
that they don't have other ones because they run in families. They go together. So you should have had, and it sounds like you've had a good screen from your doctor, an HIV test, a VDRL test for syphilis, uh, papilloma swab, and uh, the herpes swab. Now, herpes is such a common problem now that we deal with it literally every day, especially in our student health clinics. And there are drugs that we can use to totally turn it off where you never get another attack or drugs to use when you're having an outbreak. And the point that Dr. Harris was making is you can be transmitting the disease to someone else even when you're not aware of it because you transmit the virus you're infectious before you actually break out in these blisters. So it's important for you to visit with your gynecologist uh, to make sure you have all these tests done and you work out some decision with your gynecologist whether or not you want to take them as needed right. when you have an outbreak or prophylactically. Right. If you've never had an outbreak, I probably wouldn't take them prophylactically. Um, and then if you ha- once you have an outbreak, then you can take this, these pills once a day to keep it from coming back. Now, Lucy, is that what you needed? I, we weren't really sure exactly how much detail you needed. Is that is that helpful? Good. Do you need anything else on that, Lucy? I, I've not been able to hear anything that you said. Are you kidding? Why Why don't you send us an email, Lucy, and then and we'll send we'll we'll answer your question in full in an email. All right. Thank okay. You. All right. I don't know what happened on that one. Let's go to. Brett in Bay Manette, Alabama. Hey, Brett. Hey, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for your call. Yes. What, what's on your mind? I had a question for you uh, concerning hyperparathyroidism. Okay. And the question relating to uh, one, kidney stones, two, high blood pressure, uh, three, uh, heartburn, acid reflux, four, irregular heartbeat. All right. And five, uh, fairly regular cramps in the calves, the side, the hands. Have you got and, hyperparathyroidism? Uh, Has that been diagnosed, or you're just curious of whether you do? Pardon? Do you actually have hyperparathyroidism? Has it been diagnosed, or are you just curious about it? No, just recently, uh, had a blood test with my urologist, uh-huh. and uh, about two days later, they called up and said, well, you've got hyperparathyroidism. We need to set you up with a general surgeon. Okay. okay. All we right. got it. So <clears throat> hyperparathyroidism, you have um, in your neck these four little glands called your parathyroid glands, and their job is to keep your calcium level normal. Um, you have huge calcium stores in your body in your bones and that's why um, when, when your calcium's low the parathyroid gland tells your bones to release some of that calcium that's why it's important um, we tell people to take calcium so you don't end up losing bone mass by getting your calcium that way in hyperparathyroidism your parathyroid gland um, becomes it, it loses its um it's not regulated by the rest of your body. So it's just always, always telling your body that you need more calcium. Um, So your calcium levels are high. It doesn't require surgery unless you have, are symptomatic or have certain manifestations and you're having kidney stones. So it sounds like you're symptomatic. Um, Other reasons to have surgery would be if your calcium is um, above a certain level, if you're having 
renal function, if your kidneys aren't working as well as they should because of that, or if you're less than 50 years of age, or if you have osteoporosis. Um, those would be all reasons to have surgery. And the surgery, um, an ENT doctor usually does that, and they just they just take out the parathyroid glands. Um, so, yeah, and that's the, a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. And the surgeons are trained actually to make sure the diagnosis is correct, and they frequently consult with an endocrinologist because other things will give you the same problems like vitamin D deficiency can right. Absolutely. And check things yeah. out. So they're going to check your PTH level, and that's what probably what the urologist has done and sent you to a surgeon for a consultation. Right. Um, so I would follow up with the surgeon. Those other things you mentioned um, shouldn't have anything to do with your parathyroid. So I think those you're having those for another reason, um, and you could see a general internist and talk about those problems. Now, people with hyperparathyroidism uh, – do have multiple complaints, moans, groans, and bones, we call them. So uh, some of the, most of the people who have very high calcium levels uh, have uh, fatigue and uh, mental uh, issues, thinking problems, uh, hurt all over, and so forth. So if you have this and it's confirmed, the best treatment is to get the surgery uh, by someone who does this frequently, not somebody who does it occasionally. So when if someone recommends surgery to you, you definitely need uh, an endocrinological opinion uh, and to make sure this is this is the right diagnosis. The endocrinologist is not a cutting person. He or she is a, is an internist, and that needs to be confirmed because the surgery itself is associated with a number of potential complications, including voice problems. So you really need to get a second opinion on that. If you want to know more about hyperparathyroidism, send us an email and we'll send you a patient information sheet. You're listening to Southern Remedy at, on MPB Radio. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's all things considered today. Whatever problem you've got, and we've heard everything from cats and trees to people amputating lesions on their face, and it's your time to give us a call. Give us a call at one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Memphis and Richard. Hey, Richard. Hey, how's it going? Oh, we're hanging in there. We're getting some good questions. What's yours? Uh, recently, I just got a, a physical done, and I got some blood work done. And when it came back, I, I tested very high for um, the uh, antibody for mono. Yep. And I, I can't remember exactly exactly which one, but when I talked to my doctor about it, he said that. You know, ninety percent of, of all people kind of test positive for that, for that same. Um, I guess it's a virus that's just sort right. dormant in your body. Right. So, so mono um, is is a virus, and if you're symptomatic with mono, you usually have a fever, um, you can a sore throat, and then lymphadenopathy, which means your lymph glands are all over your body, and their job is to. Um, suck up bacteria and so they get enlarged when you're sick so those are the, the ways mono normally manifests um it's it's often seen in teenagers this is the kissing disease which just means it's transmitted um through saliva um you're oftentimes sick for a month or so and there's not really anything to do other than take tylenol advil that kind of thing for the symptoms now if you're just have positive for the antibody then it just means you've been exp and you're not symptomatic it just means you've been exposed to it in the past and you've cleared it um you may not have even known you had it so wouldn't worry about having the antibody right no you don't make the diagnosis of mononucleosis by blood test it's confirmatory and what they're looking for is 
an IgM antibody, not the IgG antibody that everybody has. So there's a special way to look at this. And if you're not sick, you certainly don't need any treatment. So I think you have it right. It probably is unrelated. Let's go to Edgar and Jackson. Hey, Edgar. Hello? Where you're on the air. Okay, I can barely hear you. Oh, well, I'll just, talk louder. I'd like a, a request more than anything else. You know, we're often reminded about the importance of uh, reducing the sodium in our diet. I wonder if you guys would comment on the significance of the sodium-potassium ratio, particularly as it relates to reading food labels. Okay. Well, we got a food label reader expertise <laughs> right here on, on opposite me on on today's program. So let me just start. Uh, sodium and potassium are closely uh, regulated normally, automatically, by your brain and your kidneys and some other component parts. And usually you don't have any problems with either one of them. We are wondrously made, and those are, are taken care of in wondrous ways. So uh, the problem that we have is not potassium uh, as a population, but the problem we have is sodium because we get way too much sodium in our diet. Yeah, if if just eating food in general, you're going to get plenty of sodium. Um, And the reason sodium can cause your blood pressure to be high is when sodium is in, um, when it's in your diet and it gets in your bloodstream, then you pull in water um, and it can cause your blood pressure to be high. And so that's why we talk about sodium in your diet and blood pressure. And it sort of gets reset when it's chronically elevated. Right, Um, Your kidneys do a great job of keeping your potassium normal so and your sodium level normal. Um, So if you're eating a lot of sodium and your blood pressure is high from it, it doesn't mean your sodium level is actually dangerously high because your body regulates all that. Um, And unless... We don't talk about um, watching your potassium in your diet at all unless you have renal failure because then it's your kidney's job to regulate that. And if your kidneys aren't working well, then you can get your potassium levels too high, which can be dangerous. But otherwise, you don't need to worry about the levels. When you read labels, so um, a low-sodium diet is less than 2 grams of sodium a day, which is really hard to do if you um, just – if you start reading labels, you'll see that you're probably taking in way more sodium than that. Sodium hides in places um, like soft drinks. Um, processed foods. Processed foods. Anything ca- that's frozen and made up already. Ketchup, mustard, soy sauce, all those things have a lot of sodium. And sodas, it's even diet drinks. So even if you're having diet drinks that don't have the calories, they still have a lot of sodium. So less than two grams a day is a really low-sodium diet. That's really hard to do, and your food probably tastes bad that way. So less than four grams is probably a good place to shoot for a normal. We don't use the sodium-potassium ratio clinically because uh, the amount of potassium that you have in your urine just goes up and down depends on how much you're eating and same way with the sodium all right so we hope that got your question answered if you have a question we have one at one we have an answer at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four we'll be right back after this break
MPB. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. We're rock and rolling right here in Mississippi at Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. And it's your day for, to give us a call. It's your program. Give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Frank. Yes, go ahead. No, you uh, go ahead. What's your question? Is, uh, Frank, and uh, enjoy your show there. Thank you. I had a question. Uh, just recently, uh, this happens to when I have an erection. I have, still have my foreskin, and uh, I'm starting to have some splits at the end on top of the skin there. And it's irritating. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah, that uh, that is a, a problem with men who are uncircumcised. As we get older, sometimes we get an area of dry skin on that foreskin area. Now, let me tell you, the one thing that we worry about when we have bleeding in the foreskin is we can get a skin cancer in that area. So if it's simply dry all over, then the best thing to do is to moisturize that skin, just like we say moisturize skin any other place uh, with a moisturizer. So anybody that is uncircumcised needs to pull back the foreskin every day when you take a bath, uh, clean around that area, uh, and then pull the foreskin back and clean on the top of it. If it's simply dry scaly, then you can use something like Eucerin, our favorite uh, over-the-counter grease which is inexpensive, very effective in remoisturization. But if you look on uh, the foreskin and you see anything that looks like a place, a hickey, a thing uh, that is a source of this, then that needs to be checked immediately because you can have skin cancer in that area. Uh, so I'd, I'd look at it, moisturize it, clean it, and if in two weeks you're still having bleeding, you got to have that checked out. Now, we hope that helps, Frank, and thank you for your call. I know that's a tough one to ask about. All right, so let's go to Oxford and Kelsey. Hey, Kelsey. Hi, how are you? We're doing great. Thanks for your call. Um, thanks. I had a question and a comment, and I'll, I'll lead with my comment. Uh, last week you talked about MyFitnessPal on your phone for an app. Yes, ma'am. But I wanted to share with you all that it's also a website that you can sync your account um, on the computer with your app on your phone. Awesome. And also put in um, your meals that you track online as well as um on your phone great thank you for that so that was my first is um i try and be really healthy i'm in grad school here so uh obviously under a lot of stress but uh since the couple weeks right before christmas i have had five um little bouts with a cold or something of the like um i had a sinus infection and then i had just a cold and then uh, I've gotten sick three times since I've been back in Oxford. Um, I try to take echinacea when I catch the cold coming on. Um, I have my elderberry because uh, I'm related to an herbalist, so I, I know all of my natural remedies to maintain that. And I take vitamin C every day um, along with a multivitamin. What are some ways that I can boost my immune system um, to not have to keep getting sick all the time when the weather is like this we got you kelsey thanks for your call uh unfortunately the main things you can do um are get enough rest because when you're worn out then your immune system doesn't function as well 
um, and wash your hands a lot, which you're probably doing, but there's just germs everywhere this time of year. And um, just touching a doorknob and then rubbing your nose or something like that is, you know, enough to, to transmit a cold virus. Um, and I understand it seems like you can just get one right after the other. And that, that means it does mean something is wrong. And, of course, you're being exposed to every virus in the universe when you're at a university. Right. But there was, was, was a large study done on medical students a number of years ago <clears throat> looking at their lymphocytes and in particular the types of lymphocytes that are effective against viral infections. And these were done before and after final exams. And those numbers and function of those killer T cells that affect viruses and get rid of them drop when you're stressed out. So you need some stress management techniques and a lot of rest. And stress management... There's a lot of good stuff online at major uh, websites, not at junk websites, about stress management techniques that are very, very helpful. And I, I've been through that whole series of uh, stress management teaching myself because, like you, I am uh, stressed a lot because I try to do too much in too short a time. So look at some stress management techniques. Exercise is wonderful. You're doing that. That's the best stress management of all. And then make sure you get some rest. But those those nutraceuticals are not going to help this problem. So don't waste your money on them. All right. We hope that helped, Kelsey. And we wish you the best up in Oxford on your grad studies. Let's go to David and Brandon. Hey, David. David? How do you do? You're on the air, David. Okay. Um, problem is um, ED and... Uh, a deformation that has <laughs> occurred. Yeah, we know what that is. It's called Peroni's disease. Pardon? Peroni's disease. Have you had that diagnosed yet? Not yet. Okay, uh, so your penis is crooked, right? Um, only when erect. That's right. So you have developed a condition called Peroni's disease. It is not that unusual. It is associated with erectile problems. And is that what you want me to address? Um, yeah. What is there treatment? Or okay, what? absolutely. And you shouldn't be embarrassed about this. It's a medical problem. You didn't do it. Uh, God didn't do it. It's a medical problem. And what you need to do is you need to go to a urologist uh, and and get that uh, and get that looked at. It's called P E R O Y N I E. I've got my coach over here looking up the right spelling. And uh, it is uh, basically a, a fibrosis uh, within the the penis that causes it to be crooked. So when you have an erection, your penis is not straight. It's curved, and it gives you dysfunction. And there are some things that can be done on that. Don't be ashamed of it. Uh, when you go to the urologist and talk about it, he'll know exactly what the problem is, or he or she and uh, and there are some things that you can do about Peroni's disease. So thanks for calling up. You got a quick diagnosis, no extra charge, and you're listening to Southern Remedy at MPB Think Radio at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four one eight seven seven MPB Ring. We're taking your question, and we have a line open, and we're going to Frank about calcium. Hey, Frank. Hey, how you guys doing this morning? We're just having fun. What's going on with your calcium? Uh, well, I'm going to caution the guy who was complaining about too much calcium in his blood. Yeah, I had the same problem, and they thought it was that um, that gland. 
but then they discovered that I had multiple myeloma. Yep. Where the uh, calcium is basically uh, released from your bones into your bloodstream. Right. And I cautioned him and advised him to ask a simple question. Did they test for the myeloma protein? Well, the problem is, Frank, it's not just myeloma. There's a whole bunch of problems that give you an elevated or ab- calciums that go up and down. And that's the point I was making to him. And I really appreciate you calling in and underlining it because they're there. You don't just cut somebody's parathyroid glands out because their PTH test is abnormal. And I suspect that's what he had. Right. So absolutely. And that's why um, it's, good to be referred to somebody that deals with this a lot because they know the blood test to check to see if this is actually what's going on. Multiple myeloma that you mentioned is a common cause of uh, hypercalcemia, high calcium in the blood, and it's a cancer. It's a cancer of one of the cells in your blood, and the reason that you get high calcium is the the cancer attacks your bones in some cases, and when it eats away your bones and that calcium in your bones is released into your blood. Um, So that's absolutely, you know, when when somebody comes to an internist um, with which is a medical doctor, not a surgeon, with high calcium, there's there's a, an extensive workup. You don't just check the parathyroid. First of all, there's about 20 things that can do right. it, right? So Milk we need to- alkali syndrome, which uh, is an old syndrome where people used to take too much calcium and drink milk and take alka, alka, alkalizers like uh, uh, ulcer pills. Um, uh, their lung cancer can do this. Yeah, there's a lot uh, of things. A whole it, it's, bunch it's, of things. A, it's a workup, so you need to see a doctor and, and have the diagnosis established before you go to a surgery. Absolutely. All right. Hey, Pam and Little Rock, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, we're okay, and thanks for your call. What's on your mind? Um, I read an article yesterday about aspartame poisoning in the diet drinks and stuff that it, like, mimics the symptoms of MS and things. Have you read that and heard about it? And can you comment on that? We've read many of them. Where yeah. was that particular one? Do you remember? Um, I'm not, I saw it on Facebook. I didn't get the, um, gotcha. the name of the website that it came from. It was more of a story from a lady. We got an yeah. expert here for that. Well, that's been that that theory has been going around for years and years and years, maybe 15, 20 years. And there's no proof for that at all. The um, when this came about, people were looking at you know multiple. Um, uh, what, what she said? Yeah, multiple, multiple sclerosis um, is a disease primarily in women. Women are affected more than men, and so people start looking for an association. Anytime people have, you know, there's a group of people having a disease, and they said, "Well, women drink a lot of diet drinks, so could this be related?" Um, and it nothing has panned out that it is related at all. That's you know a theory that goes around, and it probably will continue to go around. But there's there's no evidence that suggests so that. So if at you're all. freaked about that one, and I'm not, I do use it occasionally, but. I know people who are. There are other sweeteners, uh, Sucaltros, uh, Splenda, yeah. that have much less mythology surrounding it, right. and uh, are are very seem to be very safe. We have no data that there are any problems. Here's the problem: even with diet drinks that are uh, sweetened and diet foods, if you eat a lot of sweet stuff, it causes insulin to be released, and you're hungry again. That's why when you go to a Chinese restaurant and eat a lot of uh, white rice, uh, you're hungry again in an hour and a half or two hours because you've released a lot of insulin. So we're recommending that you stay away from super sweet stuff. Fat, sugar, and salt in high combinations make you fat and ugly. So stay away from that regardless. Let's go to Ken and Jackson. Hey, Ken. 
Hello. Good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, have my fingers drawing my uh, ring finger on my left hand, and now my thumb on the right from obstruction uh, to the leader going going to them on the palm side. Yeah, I thought it was a neurofibroma back when uh, I had growth in my palm about 37. I'm I'm 68 now. Uh huh. The so, physician wanted to operate on the left hand finger, and uh, also said though that it would grow back in time. That it's a manifestation of our inheritance from being arboreal uh, primates. Okay, we will get to your question right after this break. We'll talk about arboreal primates, and actually that does have something to do with the way our hands work, so he's getting some good information, and we'll fill in the blanks right after this break. We'll take your call at one eight seven seven. for listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with Dr. Alan Harris. We are your host for this program, and we are honored that you would join us. Our mission is a healthier Mississippi, and we're doing everything we can to get the word out on healthy choices. We appreciate your call. It's all things considered today. Anything you want to talk about, uh, we'll take your emails. If you're having trouble getting a line, it's southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, and we're trying to get through these calls as rapidly as possible where we can uh, answer as many of these. First, let's go back and talk about the contractures in the hands that our previous caller had that he's had for yeah. a number of years. Sounds like Duptrin's contractures. Um, D- Funny name. Yeah, D-U-P-U-Y-T-R-E-N if you want to Google it. But basically, um, the way your hand's made is you have um, you have a lot of tendons running through your hand. that con- Tendons like a rope that connects a muscle to a bone. So when the muscle contracts, the bone moves, the joint moves. And all the forearm muscles um, have tendons that go to your fingers, basically. And you have a sheet of fibrous tissue that runs across the palm of your hand. Um, and, and basically in Duptrin's that tissue, that fibrous tissue, um, gets hard and fibrosed and can pull on your finger joint, pull on those tendons. We have extensor tendons on the top. You can see if you just look at your hand, stick it out in front of you and and spread it out. You can see all these little ropes going your fingers. You have them underneath as well. Right. Flexor tendons. Right. And that in your palm, it gets gooed up, right? Yeah, it just gets... It traps them. Right, it gets fibrosed and scarred and traps them. So it sounds like that on the your thumb and your ring finger, it's pulling down on those tendons and making them flex down. Um, Duptrans happens for... There's a lot of associations, but basically we don't know why it happens. Um, a lot of alcohol consumption is one association. The only thing you can really do for it, you can get some steroid injections into it. Um, but if that's not working, then a surgery to release those tendons that are trapped in there is necessary. And it probably will come back. Right. You've got a claw hand problem going on. And, and, and at your age, uh, if your hand is functional, some people choose not to have it operated on. Yeah. Just leave it be because... The, the rehab period is pretty extensive, but work with your doctors on that and get more than one opinion if you're not 
getting the answer you need. We got a call, uh, uh, an email about uh, a uh, a tip I gave y'all several uh, weeks ago. GoodRx.com. GoodRx.com. It's a website that lets you find out the prices of drugs in all the drug stores around your geographic area in your zip code. They'll give you every, if you're looking for hydrochlorothiazide, they'll give you the cost at every drug store around you. And it also has, and I'm not, uh, I don't have any stock in this company, but please send me some if you get it. Sounds like it's doing well. They also have an online pharmacy. And many of our listeners have found that it is cheaper than your deductible on some of these regular medicines uh, to shop in the community and get these uh, prices on generic. So it'll help you with drug pricing. Uh, give it a try if you're uh, not, if you're having problem paying for your medicines. And if you need more information, send us an email. Let's go to Karen in Olive Branch. Hey, Karen. Hi. I have been diagnosed with Barrett's esophagus, so I take a daily proton pump inhibitor. Yes, ma'am. And I wonder what kind of things do I need to be on the lookout for after long-term use? So a proton pump inhibitor, There's these are drugs like Protonix, Nexium, Prilosec, and basically they um, your stomach makes acid to, to digest your food, and they turn off that acid pump. Um, so these are prescribed often for people with acid reflux, ulcers. Um, Barrett's esophagus is the condition where um, you've had reflux. So reflux means basically that the the stomach contents, the acid in your stomach, go back up into your esophagus, and that's what causes heartburn. In Barrett's esophagus, you have actually your your cells have been exposed to that, and it's a precancerous form. It's pre pre esophageal cancer. It's um, like having an abnormal Pap smear, right? Um, so there are side effects, um, some adverse effects from PPIs, the proton pump inhibitors that were that are being investigated. Osteoporosis is one association now, um, but in your case with Barrett's esophagus, I think it's risk benefit with any drug and you should be on it because the risk of you developing esophageal cancer is more than the risk of you having a side effect to the PPI. Right. And anybody that has had chronic reflux for more than three years probably needs an upper endoscopy to make sure you don't have Barrett's esophagus. It's a preventable cause of cancer and esophageal cancer is bad news. Right. You don't want it. Right. With Barrett's esophagus, they'll keep. It's important to keep getting screening um, EGDs also, which I'm sure your doctor's scheduling for you. Billy in Greenville, how are you doing? Good. Um, I just uh, every year when I go in and have a, uh, a blood test or blood work, I get a, a high enzyme level in my liver comes back, and uh, it's always a scare for hepatitis or hemochromatosis. And I was just wondering what would cause my liver to produce those enzymes at such a high level. Are you overweight? No, sir, I'm not. I'm, I'm uh, actually maybe maybe seven or eight pounds overweight. And have they referred you to a gastroenterologist at all? No. Yeah, well, that's, what, that's the answer. Uh, the most common cause of that is in our population is what's called hepatic steatosis. It's fatty liver. You can see that on an ultrasound of your liver. Uh, but there are a lot of other causes of abnormal liver enzymes yeah, as well. Yeah, basically the, the liver enzymes you're talking about, you have um, the cells of your liver, um, when they when there's some damage to those cells, they release these enzymes. And so something's going on in the cells of your liver. And it's important to know what it is because these could be being destroyed and, and lead to cirrhosis possibly. And so um, alcohol consumption, certain drugs, um, fatty liver like you talked about, but other things as well. You could have some problems with the ducts in there. So you need an evaluation 
mentioned, starting with an ultrasound and uh, a gastroenterologist, they're trained in um, in liver problems as well. And that's who I would ask um, at ask your doctor to refer you to one. Absolutely. And you got some around you there in Greenville that will get, help you. Hey, Nellie. Oh, thanks. Hey. For, thanks for your call. What's your, what's your question? Uh, well, I had a uh, knee, uh, knee replacement in September, late September. Yes, ma'am. And ever since I had the knee replaced, my knee hadn't bothered me all that bad, but it's my foot. Yep. I can't hardly walk yep. on my uh, foot. It's so sore. And uh, my legs uh, and foot have been swollen. We got uh, you. We, we got you. Knee we got and you, Miss Nelly, and that's a very common problem. Yeah, basically, with the knee replacement, your your gait has probably changed, and it's affecting your foot. And so, um, I would recommend you getting fitted for a good shoe, um, and and go from there. Well, the orthopedist that put the hip in needs to get his act together. Uh, you're supposed to be followed up after you have your hip. Knee. Uh, your knee replacement to make sure you don't have ankle and foot problems because when your knee is out of whack just as you say dr allen uh your your foot accommodates and then it gets corrected and your foot's all screwed up again so i think uh that one thing i, I totally agree with you it's going to require a foot of uh, a shoe evaluation and probably an orthotic but I think that's a responsibility of the orthopedist to pick up. Yeah. So I think she needs to call her orthopedist and yeah. let him know about this. And, and don't just get referred to another doctor. He should take care of that. Let's go to Jessica in Greenwood. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, yeah. ma'am. Okay. We got about, about 30 ago, seconds. So. I missed a period. Okay. And also at the same time noticed I couldn't feel get out of bed. I didn't feel well, but I couldn't put my finger on it. A little bit like depression. So I went to my family doctor Told him that he did a test. Uh, we never really talked about the test, but I, the result he just wrote on it later. Perimenopause later, when we had a chance to talk, he said these blood tests don't really tell you anything. But that's what he thought was going on. Since then, I've either had missed periods, not very many, more than that, just lots of periods that would be like maybe five days apart. Some one lasted three weeks. I don't have the same kind of focus. I don't feel like the same person. We got you. I, I don't we really got have it you. Together. So my question is, uh-huh. you can read a lot on the Internet, but my mother talked about these same things, not knowing it being very controversial what to do. We got you. We got you. We so know that problem. I would problem. get your gynecologist to evaluate you and see if you are going through menopause. There are blood tests to check um, that with, uh, with the symptoms of your missed periods. Estrogen therapy can be used to treat the symptoms of menopause. It's recommended that you not take it for more than five years. Take it for as short a period as you need. But if the symptoms are affecting your life, then estrogen therapy is okay to take. But your gynecologist is going to be the one that helps you with that. Malt, keep going back till you get it fixed. We want to thank you for listening to Southern Remedy, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, supported by an unrestricted grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Our producer is the gorgeous Jenny Wilburn uh, from uh, Up Country in Mississippi. We'll see you next week when our topic is allergies. Thanks for listening. 